Welcome to Solving for B, your podcast for all things branding and marketing. In this episode, our experts discuss trends that brands will encounter in 2020 and how to ensure that your brand is prepared for the year ahead. So settle in and enjoy the latest episode of Solving for B with Brand Extract. Hi, and welcome into Solving for B. I'm your host, Chris Wilkes, and today we're going to discuss trends for brands in 2020. The inspiration for this episode actually comes from an article recently published in Forbes, written by our very own Bo Bodie. And here with me to discuss the topic is brand strategist Elizabeth Tyndall. Hi. Chairman Jonathan Fisher. Hello, Chris. And President and CEO of Brand Extract, the aforementioned Bo Bodie. It's all you, Chris. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today, guys. Um, so, so we're going to talk about trends that brands can expect to see this year. Uh, and, and in the Forbes piece, Bo lays out five trends that I'd like for us to cover. Uh, and maybe we can talk about some ways that listeners uh, can prepare for those trends or, or even capitalize on them. Uh, so the first one that, that we lay out is um, is that customiz- customization will change expectations. So uh, in what ways will expectations change? So are we talking customization of the product? Or are we talking customization of the marketing message for the brand, right? You could, you could spin that question a couple of different directions. So if you look at it from a personalization standpoint, you know, uh, brands are having to do a lot more personalization, customization, and how they market and how they go to market. You know, e- emails based on you know behavior off the website, or you know, uh, ad placements based on you know trend data that they're picking up in the place. So, um, so I think there's there's a level of personalization that we're seeing increase. You know, uh, through the marketing channels that's out there, and then I think you're seeing a little bit maybe some of the customization that's how they do service delivery, you know, how they're making those adjustments to differentiate in the marketplace. Yeah. So. Well, also, you know, that's a very good point that you bring up that, you know, it can be in the marketing message or it can be in the service or or offering service or product. Um, You know, because I initially thought of it as product specific uh, because I think technology enables that. But, um, but, you know, marketing messaging is is important as well. But, what are some of the um, catalysts for this customization? What I mean, do, was there a reason, do you think, Bo, that we'll see more customization in well, 2020? I think technology's caught up. We've talked about this, you know, in other podcasts. Um, but I think I think the key thing here is people's expectations are going to change. So your audience, if you're marketing to somebody, they're going to expect to see relevant information. You know, if I ask my Alexa, hey, what's on sale at Amazon today, you know, I want to hear about, I'm going to expect to hear about things that I care about, not just the things that are on sale, you know, washer, and I don't need that. Um, And so I think people are starting to adjust on the top of it, you know, Jonathan's, you know, thought about customization or personalization of the things you buy. Um, Again, technology's changing and disrupting that. Um, But, you know, I kind of want it the way I want it. Right, and so the consumer's expectation is changing, as marketers and manufacturers and producers are being able to more address specific things that I want, and I think that's coming across all you know B two B B two C. It's starting to affect everything. Right, it's like the Nike shoes or different shoe manufacturers where you can go and customize exactly the kind of shoe you want, and the color and the style and the bells and whistles. Yeah. That'll start to bleed into 
other industries. Right, and I, I think that we're being part of part of what's driving this is um, is we we you know we have a whole generation that is conditioned to that. You know, they've never known a world where everything was hey you get you get this. You don't get to go pick what you want. You know, mm-hmm. you know if you're lucky, you get a color. Right, um, yeah. three but, channels to pick from. That's right, <laughs> exactly. So I think we're conditioned with. Um, with like you know the instant gratification and, and just technology as as you guys pointed out, um, so yeah I think that's certainly um, something worth keeping in mind um, going forward. Um, so the second item that we mentioned is uh, service delivery uh, will set brands apart. Um, so what about that service is going to set them apart? Is it going to be um, is it going to be the best service, the fastest service, the uh, the most complete service? I mean what. What is how is the, how are we going to differentiate or how are brands going to differentiate um, in 2020? Well, I think a lot of studies have been done, and really, it's more about customer experience across the entire uh, relationship and engagement from start to finish, and that's really kind of being touted as the new brand and the main way that people are going to differentiate and command premium products, especially in a lot of industries that are commoditizing. It's you know what is that experience from the first interaction to the final either repeat purchase or um, end of the relationship. And is it consistent? Is it good? Because what we're seeing is bad experiences can quickly drive away customers or create other um, more, you know, detrimental PR incidences. Look at, you know, some of the instances in airlines with mm-hmm. some bad experiences that just balloon and become major crisis Well, we know events. bad news travels fast, you know, faster right. than good news, it seems. So I, um, think, I think one of the overlooked uh, experiences to Elizabeth's point that she brings up that triggered for me was, you know, there is an experience where you're engaging with the company, be it phone, email, website, whatever it might be, conflict resolution, figuring out what got lost, where, or damaged, or whatever it might be. But there's often the experience where they don't want to talk to the person at all. They want to DIY. They want a resolution through their own means. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to go and find the answers to whatever it is on your on the website or, you know, uh, return something without having to request the return slips and all that. So I think there's a, a segment of that experience that's often overlooked by companies, which is... Right. Well, I think it, it's the point that the customer experience really depends on knowing your audience and crafting an experience that meets their and exceeds their expectations, and everyone can be different. Yeah, it's a good point. So drawing distinction, the distinction between experience and service, really. I mean, some people, to your point, Jonathan, just want to be left alone. I know whenever I'm, you know, looking for support on my AT&T bill, for example, I just want, you know, I'd prefer to chat. And if you can get, if it's something simple and you can kind of sort that out for me, great. If I, if I have to jump on the phone with you, I'm going to get put into your call loop and your, your, you know, your phone system, your phone tree, and it's just going to frustrate me. So if I can service myself, fantastic. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so the third item uh, we talk about is artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, impacting brand trust. Bo, in what way do you think um, machine learning and, and AI will, will impact brand trust? Well, I think it's a, the, that's a good segue into um, from where, where you were. I mean, yeah, I think as, as machines, Alexa, phones, um, 
uh, websites, applications, start to anticipate needs and to understand the consumer better and understand you personally better, um, brands are going to have to adjust to that. You know, they're going to have to, back to the com- com- customization piece at the top, you know, they're going to have to be wary and, and understand. They're also going to have to understand that sometimes you know, just because you ordered a certain hat doesn't mean you want that hat every day. Um, and so how do you parse that information? How do you manage that? You know, how do you make sure that, you know, you separate overcoming the whole big brothers watching and I don't want something listening to me. Um, you know, how do you also look at all this data that's coming? And I think we're at a point where technology is allowing back to the changing times, technology is allowing us to assess that information so much faster to where we can make quick decisions, thus machine learning starting to adapt and adjust quicker um, to sentiment, to desires, to trends that are happening. One of the things that I think with, with AI machine learning that's that's uh, that is really that AI machine learning will really help is understanding intent. Elizabeth, you touched on understanding your client and understanding what mm-hmm. they need and what they want. I think that machine learning and a lot of this stuff ties back to you know understanding your your user and anticipating their needs. Even um, I think artificial intelligence, machine learning, those kinds of things will allow us to you know, analyze data and compile mm-hmm. and analyze huge swaths of data that allow us to predict what right. people, you know, what customers want. And it's using it to see how to better that engagement and experience in some ways, right? Because there's so much data out there, you can get data overload. So it's what is going to, how to use the data that's going to drive your business and really help improve things. So like if efficiency is really important to your customer and you have all this data learning on past orders and stuff, how do you then leverage that information and serve it up in a way that allows, you know, suggestions, kind of like the Amazon. We see you ordered this last time. You might also like X, Y, and Z. Right. And using it in that way. Yeah. And access to that technology, I mean, going back to the top, um, you know, access to that technology is just growing and growing and growing and it's becoming more of a um, uh, a necessity rather than a nice to have or like a nice you know Amazon was one of the that's one of the first ones at least I can think of where it's like they're using these predictive data or whatever it may mm-hmm. be um, to serve up something we think you'll love um, but now kind of everybody is starting to do it so now it's it's getting to the point maybe it's not there yet but maybe that's our our position here in 2020 that'll be table stakes well but think about it you know so so i walk by my alexa it senses that i'm there i've ordered a new washing machine what's to stop them from asking me how are you liking your new washing machine is there anything we can do to help would you like anything else did you know that this special detergent works best in it you know the creepy as it may sound, you know, I think from a branding standpoint and a positioning, what's the voice that asks me the question? What's the tone of that voice? As opposed to just saying, do you like it? Would you like to write a review? You know, how can you add value to me? How can I extend the brand um, beyond that? I mean, I think we're getting to that point where, you know, if it can anticipate me saying, you know, Alexa Simon says something and it responds to me. It's pretty easy to know that I ordered a washing machine on this date and 30 days later, they know customers are either happy with them or not. And it asks me some good questions based on their understanding of the customer journey and experience. Yeah. I think there's a fine line between, you know, building trust and breaking the trust. And AI has the ability to cross that line pretty easily with brands 
brands collect so much information on the consumer and, you know, in an attempt to try and personalize or, or customize um, or predict their buying habits, it can cross the line and become intrusive. They can sell that data in a way that you didn't want it exposed, which is why you're seeing, you know, all the privacy rules and regulations starting to crop up. Um, so I think there's the risk of AI, you know... Eroding the brand trust. Eroding the brand trust if, if used for evil and not sure. good, right? Right, it's responsible uh, use of the data. You're yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's it's creepy. And it's also annoying, you know, I wish uh, shopping for bar stools, you know, and, and then, you know, now I'm getting inundated with, with bar stool ads, and the, but they're, it's, it's, it's annoyingly so, you yeah. know? So I'm, I'm also at the point where it's like, if you show me your bar stool, I'm absolutely not even going to buy it from right. you because now I'm pissed, right. you know, that you, you've, in, you've intruded on my life and all of my applications in that process. Right. And so, so I think you have to be careful as a brand how, how far you, you take these applications in the marketplace, yeah, strike strike the appropriate balance mm-hmm. for for your target audience. Some, you know, the first movers, the folks who are, you know, I think of what comes to mind for me is the the people who will wait out wait in line for the uh, for the new Apple, whatever it is, watch, phone, whatever, you know, on every launch. Those guys probably don't mind so much sharing their data and and um, being tailored to and everything like that, but. You know, those people like, for example, my mother, uh, who doesn't have any of those things and prefers her, you know, her landline and everything, she probably doesn't want her data out there. It probably freaks her out. So I think, it, again, it goes back to understanding your customer and delivering what they want, what they need, what they're comfortable with. So. Yeah, and a level to that, like a subtlety here is, okay, not all bar seals are equal, right? I'm looking for a very specific style of bar stool, <laughs> and they keep serving me up something that is not what I was actually looking for. So the AI and the, that they're using is not, doing the best job and so it's annoying me even further that's like maybe i wouldn't mind it so much if you're serving me up what i wanted but i didn't want this style this particular thing you know now it's just noise right yeah it's just noise and and distractions and and i'm I'm tuning it out okay all right well um so the fourth uh trend that we have to watch for in 2020 is uh environmental concerns will require a clear strategy um so what, what do we think precipitates this? What do we think, you know, what do we think, um, you know, listeners out there can do to prepare for this, this trend? Well, I think from a clear strategy standpoint, I mean, what a lot of the companies we're working with, especially the B2B companies, are having to define what their impact is on the environment. Um, and, and there are a thousand different ways to skew this. There are a thousand different ways. The world's 50-50 on this, you know this thing bad, this thing good, and then the same group, there's somebody on the other side. And so how does an organization define their impact and their expected impact on the environment? There's nothing that we do that doesn't in some way affect the environment positively or negatively. I don't know if you've watched The Good Place, but, you know, using that as an example, the world's become so complex that it's almost impossible to attain positive points, you know, because every everything you do has a negative impact somewhere, somehow that you right. can find. Um, and so, how do you balance those out? And I think companies being clear and honest about what they believe and and what they feel and think, and how they're going to, and then acting on it, is going to be the differentiator between those that are pandering and saying, "Hey, look, we care," 
um, and can be called out on a thousand different things they do. And those that don't pay any attention to it and don't give it any credence. Um, I think you have to, I wouldn't say take a stand, but you have to have a clear strategy about how you're going to impact the world you live in. Yeah, and then I guess there's also a communication strategy with that as well. Of how how are you going to communicate that? Whenever inevitably somebody does come ask, well, Mister Such and Such, your your company does this, and it impacts the environment in this way. What? How do you respond to that? And then because if you don't have, if you haven't thought of that, I think you can get yourself into trouble with, you know, people different parties talking, saying different things, talking out of both sides of your mouth. So mm-hmm. it's definitely definitely worth considering. Um, I mean, one of the notes I have here when we were talking about it is, is do we think this is the end of neutrality as, a, as an organization? Do you, I mean, will, will people be, will neutrality now be a negative as opposed to, you know, as opposed to someone who stands up and says, I'm for a controversial issue or I'm against? I think companies are looking where they can win. You know, they can't win on every single front uh, when it comes to their their ESG reporting and and so I think they have to figure out you know where it's financially viable for them where it makes this most sense for them from a supply chain or logistics standpoint or distribution standpoints you know uh, uh, talking about a statistic the other day you know these companies that are you know instantly you know the Ubers of the world the list of the world the Amazons of the world they're delivering everything now the DoorDashes you know, these companies are putting 80% more cars on the road and they're shipping everything one box at a time, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to shipping consciously in bulk. And so there's there's this huge concern now with this ability to deliver, you know, so they could be environmentally friendly from a technology standpoint or from a, you know, recycled cardboard box perspective and sustainable trees and all that, but then they could have a huge negative carbon footprint impact, you know, on the delivery side of the chain. So it's a really complex (laughs) subject and they have to be, you know, smart about the positions they pick before they start making claims in one area versus another area. And I I think that speaks to your neutrality issue. I I don't think it's one thing to beat up a petroleum-based company and then on the other side order all your stuff from Amazon um, because that organization consumes and has way more impact on, you know, day-to-day, person-to-person, you know, (laughs) door-to-door, you know, (laughs) tire-to-tire, has more impact on the environment than one energy company would have. Um, now, you could debate that, right? And so that kind of speaks to the neutrality piece. It's hard to take a position in the complexity. It's hard to take a hard position in the complex world that we live in. And so how do you say, look, we're going to – it's one thing to say we're going to do this with the least amount of impact possible and we'll continually work to deliver on our brand promise at a high level and do it and find ways to be better. It's another thing to say – they're bad. Don't look at what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's where back to the idea of a clear strategy. I mean, having a clear strategy, a stated strategy, mm-hmm. is about how you're going to and taking, and taking the hits and saying, look, we know we put a ton of cardboard in the, you know out into the world, and we know that the world can't recycle all this cardboard. 
here's what we're going to do about it over this period of time. Right. And then reporting to Jonathan's point, reporting back, here, here's the progress yeah. we're making. And I if mean, it's a little progress, but we hold, you'll, we'll all start holding each other a little bit more accountable, which is the way it should work. I mean, your question was, do you think companies, I think, originally can remain neutral in this position? And I don't, I don't think they can long term. I think everybody has to own up to it and address it in their own way. You know, uh, because I think the conversation will be had, you know, we always say it was back in the day when social media kicked in first started, right? We used to say, look, whether you engage in social media platforms or not, these were early discussions, you know, pre, you know, pre Twitter and all that. The, those conversations will happen without you. Mm -hmm. So you might as well participate in them because they're going, you know, there's a conversation going on whether you believe it. You can't stick your head in your sand, mm -hmm. in the sand. And, and, and so I think that's, you know, for me, the, the question of environmental impact and sustainability and all these other things, those conversations are going to happen without you. So if you try to remain neutral, you try to stay on the sideline, I think you're going to lose. Yeah. I think you need to, to Bo's point, pick and choose. Nobody wins on everything. Pick and, and take your positions and then address it. And you can't address some of this stuff overnight, but you can work towards it. And I think that's what most people are looking for is to see positive impact and progress from a brand where it knows it can do better. And, and from a brand standpoint, I think it's important to note that, um, and I think, Bo, you touched on it, is, is don't try to get involved in every fight. You know, f Get involved in the ones that matter, that, that impact your business, that mean something to you, that are authentic to you. I mean, if... If, you know, if you're a petroleum company, um, you may not need to take a stand on XYZ social issue. I mean, it's okay to sit those out. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important point to note um, for number four. Mm -hmm. um, so the last one we have to discuss, uh, the fifth and final trend uh, of 2020, um, is that speed will matter again. Um, can we talk a little bit about what that means and what, what are the implications for, um, for brands in 2020? Yeah, I think it um, speed kind of interrelates with a lot of the points we've already talked about, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you have one, the generation that we've been seeing where everything is with Amazon and instant gratification and deliveries overnight, if not in the next hour. <laughs> yeah. So the speed becomes a recurring expectation, um, you know, and then from a customer experience, you know, in some of the studies, Price Waterhouse did a survey and you know, the must-haves of customer experience were around speed and convenience in addition to just that friendly, helpful service. And so it's understanding when you say speed, what is speed? And going back to what really matters to your specific customer and what their expectations are, how do you then define speed? I mean, we have one, one, one client recently that was looking at things, and it's, you know, delving into what does speed mean? When I need an answer to a question, what's acceptable? Is it an hour response? Is it 24-hour response? Is it a three-day response in trying to come up with either answers or resolutions? Yeah. And I think, to your point, that's going to depend on your customer and your offering. You know, if, right. if, if I need, if I'm a, you know, if I'm a heart surgeon and I need a, to know about this particular product, I need to know about that right now. If I'm, you know, a construction company, for example, maybe I can wait a day or two, right? Right. So it's going to depend. Um, I think you know speed will be will will be relative. Now, I would say that speed has always mattered, mm -hmm. um, but w I guess just to clarify, we're saying that speed will um, kind of be more again more at the forefront. Well, I think things are just 
and it has been this way for a while. You know, Moore's law is broken, right? I mean, we talked about you know whatever that was, technology changes every whatever. Um, nobody talks about Moore's law anymore. It doesn't come up because it's com- it's faster than that. We're in a rolling system, where it's yeah. Just, yeah. And so, so a brand's ability not to change or become something that they aren't or they shouldn't be, but their ability to adapt is critical. And we talked about this, you know, the Warby Parker brand, right? There are only certain glasses I can get, and they can make those very efficiently, and they're stylish. But as that brand grows over time, how do they adjust? People will expect more faster. And if they don't adjust to that, then they're just going to start ordering their glasses from somebody else because they're the switching costs are too low and the access to Jonathan's point and, and some of the things we've been talking about is too easy. And so your, your ability as a brand to understand your customers, see where they're moving, see what trends are impacting them, and then see what your brand can do to address them, not change, but see what your brand can do to address them over a long period of time with a very with a longer view of your product cycle, I think is going to be critical. Good. Right, and having that agility kind of built into your operational structure right. so that you can shift when needed, whether it's short or long term. Right, which technology is making that easier, right? You know, to retool a machine cost millions and millions of dollars years ago. Now it's a fraction of that cost compared to what it would have been, you know, the, the giant million-dollar IBM computer that has 32K of memory, you know, <laughs> is now, you know. We've got a computer in our hands that's way more powerful than anything that put a man on the moon. So you just you take those things into consideration, but building your organization to Elizabeth's point around something that allows you to adapt quickly, um, it's not so cost intensive that it would either cripple the company financially or reduce customer satisfaction um, is a big part of how you define your strategy today. I think offering speed as an an additional service offering. For example, you know, if you're a manufacturer and you're used to doing normal turn times, seven to 10 days or whatever it might be, or parts on the shelf, and yet you've got clients that occasionally need something in three hours and you're willing to customize, you know, that fabrication process, they're willing to pay substantially more. I mean, we've got one client that sees as much as, you know, 10 to 20x margins for their rush orders, Mm -hmm. you know, but they didn't have the operational procedures in place to capitalize on that market initially. Right. And they needed to beef up some of their raw stock inventory. They needed to beef up their their CAD systems and their machining processes, and they need to create manpower availability. But they've put that in place, and that's a substantial increase offering for them now. So when you talk about speed as an expectation, I think the world's getting faster. It's also a business opportunity. And it's a business opportunity. And if you look at speed in terms of a business opportunity – be it accelerating your, your cash flow, being increasing your price points, being it and doing more volume and turn, you know, and the churn process that you might be looking at, you know, speed is is a real opportunity in that regard. You know, we're not just talking about fundamentals of downloading your website and people bouncing after three seconds now. <laughs> okay. That's great, guys. Well, um, so the the final thing, I mean, we've, we've covered all five pretty thoroughly, and I thank you guys for that. Um, but the final thing I want to mention, and this is totally optional, but are there any other trends? You know, we have our, our core five, but are there any other trends that any of you guys see um, as something to look out for in 2020 uh, that, that brands should look out for in 2020? I think the messaging uh, 
the way it's being delivered these days through video and interactivity, uh, the ability to interact uh, with these products more. Um, you know, it, it's less the written word. It's less the static image. Um, it's much more the experience and the engagement of the dynamic and interactivity. And so we, I see just, you know, that that's exploding yeah. right now. You know, those platforms that handle video are exploding. And it, I, I think back to the days when we used to print material. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and it's not, you know, video is the new printing. <laughs> you know? There you go. But, uh, you know, that, that, that delivery, because it's so much more personal and it's so much more dynamic and it's so much more visceral. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, if you aren't looking at those experiences as a brand, you're probably missing out. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. That's a good one. Elizabeth, do you have anything? Um, maybe some kind of dovetailing on that authenticity and maybe transparency. Mm -hmm. Just seeing, you know, as things continue to evolve, people want the real story. They don't want to be, have a lot of fluff. Right. They want to get down to it and really understand the inner workings. Good. Bo? I think the bell curve will matter again. Um, I think this whole long tail thing that we've been experiencing, you know, where like music is probably the best example. Um, over time, you know, you bought what was on the radio and then there was more and more access to things. Now that we've had so much access to so much and you look at a Yelp review or you look at everybody's at 4.2 stars. Um, now there are some at five, there are some at two. Um, but when you're trying to make a decision as a consumer, everybody's kind of in the same four-point distribution. Um, and so how do you differentiate? And this, this is a little bit of that commoditization conversation, but I think you can't trick those systems as easily as you used to or you can't fake a bunch of reviews as easily as you used to be able to do. Um, and that is going to confuse marketers and confuse brands. Um, as we move forward and at the end consu confuse consumers, which then will drive to what we've been talking about, you know, your ability to stand out and differentiate a little bit more um, in all of this is going to become more important. Excellent. And Chris, yesterday you were talking about, you know, the algorithm changes for search rankings, right? Company, yep. you know, brands are going to have to choose now between being the subject matter expert and their page one ranking, right? Yeah. So... You, I think we can just expect more constant adjustments through these systems that we have to be prepared for. And to Elizabeth's mm -hmm. point, you have to, you're going to have to be a lot more transparent, a lot more true, and you're going to have to be a lot more focused in that regard. Awesome. Well, guys, this has been excellent. Thank you guys so much. Uh, we'll let you out of here, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks, awesome. Chris. Thanks, Chris. That does it for this episode of Solving for B. We hope it prepared you to better manage your brand in the year ahead. If you found it insightful, check out brandextract.com for more insights and other resources. Thanks for listening to Solving for B with Brand Extract. <laughs>